0: For more than two years, Larry Morrow shared incredible conversations with broadcast legends from Cleveland and around the world with his radio audience on Salem Broadcasting. The radio program was called Larry Morrow's Take Two. So now it's time to take you back to those 30-minute shows as we do a podcast replay here on the Larry from the Heart podcast platform. Subscribe to this podcast and remember to share it with a friend. This is Larry Morrow's Take Two, the podcast. Enjoy. I'm Larry Morrow, and this is Take Two, the radio program that looks inside a person's adventure, not so much from the outside in, but the inside out. In the next 30 minutes, you will discover the inward joy of the heart of Greg Harris, president and CEO of our beloved Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which has married him to a passion of his life, and the affirmation of ideals that directed his success. From Cooperstown to Cleveland, when Greg Harris is not tracking the Rolling Stones' exile on Main Street, he's focused on engaging, teaching, and inspiring all of us with the stories of the people and songs that have shaped our world. Welcome, Greg Harris.
1: Thank you, Larry. It's my pleasure to be sitting here with uh, with a legend, and to be sitting, we're inside the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in our recording studio, um, and you're one of the reasons why this museum is built right here in Cleveland.
0: Oh, Greg, what a what a wonderful thing to say! Thank you so much. We can close the interview out no, right? No, <laughs> um I'm lucky because I've been along for the uh, the entire ride since its inception, and revel in the richness of what has been created. And this is the same studio that I spent three years. And I'll never forget opening up my show saying, hi, this is Larry Morrow, coast to coast from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And what I wanted to do is to make sure that everyone knew that the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame was one of the top 10 entertainment destinations in America. You and, know, and it probably st- my guess is that it still is, if not higher than that,
1: if not higher. And I'll give you an example. Back in, in the summer, you know, everything was closed down for COVID. Oh, Sure. And uh, USA Today ran an article in mid-June asking, when will our national landmarks reopen? And they said, when will Yellowstone accept visitors? When will the Grand Canyon reopen? When will the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame (laughs) reopen? And to be mentioned in the same breath with those iconic landmarks was pretty special. And we're only 25 years old. We've had 13 million visitors, and uh, we are one of the top attractions. And, you know, rock and roll is the most powerful art form ever created, so it's fitting.
0: Yes, it is. Greg, uh, 2021 will look nothing like 2020. Not even Nostradamus who has made predictions about our future could have seen this one coming. In March of last year, the world came to a stop. The pandemic changed everything and obviously has had a lasting impact on just about everything we do and how we do it. Other than travel and tourism, which I'm sure has affected the Rock Hall, you were forced to lay off nearly 50 employees. What are your plans as you move forward?
1: Yeah. <clears throat> you know, we, um, we all h- hit that pause button, and then we had to say to ourselves, what would we deliver if we never open again? Ah. So we went deep. Uh, we dug into our vaults. We put out footage that has never been seen, and we have YouTube views that are, that are topping, you know, five, 50 million views and a staggering number of people doing things. But we also launched an educational platform so that teachers – And students and parents that were teaching their kids at home could use rock and roll content to learn math, science, social studies. And that just blew it out. We reached a million students with that. And we continue to do things that that reach people, knowing that we will be reopening. Mm -hmm. 2021 will be different. Everybody's gonna want to travel again. They're gonna want to come here again. But we'll also have that digital backdrop as our as our uh, our rock to work from and continue to grow. But we we use this moment, we didn't just close the doors and sort of hibernate. We used it to to really push some things that we knew we wanted to do. We mm-hmm. accelerated some areas. We are stronger today than when we closed our doors in March. Isn't and, that something? And we've got a great staff. Everybody's working really well together, and we've got great content.
0: And and you have an angel in Pill Cosgrove. Uh, Was, wasn't it wonderful that Bill stepped forward we, to help out?
1: Yeah, you know, we have so many um, supportive donors uh, for the museum. And in this, this moment of... Um, of closure. We, we lost a lot of admission revenue. We lost our retail store revenue because people weren't on site, but donors stepped up and filled that in. Yeah. And we have an incredible group of donors. And the one you referenced, Bill Cosgrove from union home mortgage has just been terrific for the museum in our final quarter. Uh, it's a long list though. There's so many that support us and care about us and we're grateful to all of them.
0: Great. Do you have any idea at all when you might open?
1: Uh, yeah, we're sitting here, um, you know, we just entered the new year mm-hmm. and we'll be opening in the next few weeks. Wow. Uh, we're actively tracking, uh, COVID cases nationally. And we know that our health and safety protocols at the museum are rock solid. Uh, mm-hmm. we have an infectious disease expert on our team. We <laughs> have, um, we reopened back in June and we stayed open from June to November. We didn't have a single case of COVID transmission connected to visitors to our building or to our staff on site. So we're, um... We're, we're pleased with our protocols and we're going to stick with them. And, you know, it's a safe place. This place is massive. Uh, I would think that there's far less risk coming in here than there is going to your local grocery store or your, <laughs> your, uh, your, you know, your home center.
0: Well, social distancing measures, I would think, uh, will have an impact on all of this. Are you putting that in? in-
1: we are. You know, we're, we're limiting the capacity in our theaters. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody that comes to the museum has a time ticket. And they enter with that time ticket, so that we know how many are in the building at any given time. And when they move through the exhibits, we want people to stay respect each other's space. Uh, everybody must wear a mask when mm-hmm. they're uh, touring the museum. That includes employees and visitors. And uh, we're going to institute all those things until there's a day when we don't have to. Yeah,
0: and and I would hope that would would surely be within the next six months.
1: Yeah, I. I I'm confident that they're going to roll out these vaccines in a good way. Uh, plus, we have a huge outdoor space here. Mm-hmm. So we did 105 live outdoor shows last year, wow. even during the, the pandemic, because people wanted to gather outside and be with each other at a safe distance. Many of the musicians that played our shows, it was the only time they played live
0: all mm-hmm. year. Greg, the, um, the Rock Hall is both multicultural and multigenerational. So you are a diversity-driven edifice and constantly changing due to the music, uh, the music itself brings a wealth of benefits, but I would think challenges as well. So what is the thread that holds this place together, Greg?
1: You know, that's a terrific question. And really the thread that holds it together is that rock and roll connects us. Mm-hmm. It connects all of us. Um, there are, we have people that we share the same experiences with, the same songs with, um, that are our peers, but it's also universal. So we can talk about—somebody that went to Woodstock can actually relate to somebody that goes to Bonnaroo today, because hmm. it's the same concept of leaving home and traveling somewhere to be with your, your tribe and your group of people uh, to celebrate music. But there's a, there's a through line, and I think one of the keys is that rock and roll is, is very diverse and it was never one thing. It was never just four skinny guys with long hair and guitars. Mm-hmm. It was the same art form that had Rip Roar and Rockabilly in the 50s and Street Corner doo It can have Jimi Hendrix and Simon and Garfunkel in the 60s and Otis <laughs> Redding in the same thing. And in the 70s, it's dance music, it's punk rock, it's Southern rock, it's heavy metal, and then you get punk rock, and you get New Wave, and you get industrial. It's all rock and roll to us. And you know what? One of the reasons that um, probably that question comes up, is hip-hop fits in there too. It's oh, a yeah. natural extension, it's an attitude, and it's a spirit. You,
0: know, I will never forget, one of my great experiences here was your predecessor, and I was very involved in the rock hall from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And I walked in one day, and I had not met him, not met Terry Stewart. And, and he said, what in the world's come over you? And I was the bass singer for that song that went to number one in the country with Jack Scott. And he said, would you do the bass part for me? (laughs) (laughs) That's
1: fantastic. Well, you know, as a performer, that's great, Larry. But your listeners should know that you're in the Television Radio Hall of Fame. You're an (laughs) inductee, man.
0: (laughs) You know, certain songs and artists become so memorable, they create a time in our lives that help us recapture a place, a moment that carries us right through life. Uh, For me, it would be easy. Elvis, Chuck Berry, the Beatles, the Who, Dion, and that list goes on. This kind of diversity has made the rock all what it is today. Forget for a moment that you're Greg Harris. What would it be for you, Greg?
1: Oh, Uh, (laughs) hands down. Growing up where I did, uh, born in Trenton, New Jersey, and raised in the Delaware Valley, Bruce Springsteen. Uh, He sung about the people and places that we all knew, and uh, his songs Mm -hmm. were a, a big part of, uh, of growing up in that area. And we were lucky enough to get to see him play live a lot. Uh, so, so definitely Bruce Springsteen. Uh, I'm a big fan of the clash. Um, I was exposed to the clash in the late seventies at a time when, um, when, uh, it, it really related to me and hit me. And so those are, they're two of the greats, but I, I love it all. You know, I love Otis Redding, I love um, Bob Dylan. How could Dilley. you not, right? <laughs> I, I love the band. I love Chuck Berry. He's the greatest songwriter ever. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's hard for me to to pick one favorite, but as a go-to, I think I, you go back to Bruce the most.
0: So, uh, speaking of go, going back, let's go back to the beginning. Uh, you're a guy from Bucks County, PA, and as I mentioned in promoting this interview, you have a reserved authenticity about you and your passion for business and music, which we don't know much about. Where did all of this come from, Greg? Yeah.
1: So, um, you know, growing up, I was a, a, a big fan of music. And back then you listened to, you know, AM and FM stations. Oh, I know. <laughs> uh, we had the great Jerry Blavitt, the Geeter with the heater. And so old and new blended together. Um, and I got really into, into music. And ultimately, I worked in a used record store when I first went to college and liked it so much and was so involved that I dropped out of college and we opened up our own record store. And my original partner still has it. It's been 30-something years later. It's thrived. It's been a great place. I tried to play in bands, but I wasn't that good. But you got to see the music side, uh, um, uh, the business side of music, and I loved it. Uh, I road-managed um, a band and traveled around the country in a mm-hmm. band with them and and really enjoyed that. And then, you know, one thing led to another, and I ended up with a A degree, a master's in history with an emphasis on museums, and I worked for the Baseball Hall of Fame for 14 years. Mm -hmm. And the chance to come out here to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, reconnect with music, has just been a blast. And I had to do it.
0: Well, is your record store still called the Philadelphia Record Exchange? It is. It's (laughs) Philadelphia. Thanks for the
1: plug. It's the greatest store going. Mm -hmm. Uh, Everybody should stop in. And they are. uh, uh, It's it's what happens with these little record stores is every music fan in town hangs out there. Mm. And so the musicians in town are all there. Uh, the music fans are there. We would shut down the street and stick a band out front and they could crank it up. And um, that's, uh, it becomes the, the, the community center, like mm-hmm. the general store.
0: Uh, you're listening to Take Two. I'm Larry Morrow and we're speaking today with Greg Harris, who's the the president and chairman of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, Greg, you just mentioned that you hold a degree in history. You didn't mention from Temple, from mm-hmm. Temple University and your master's from Cooperstown, which is the graduate program for history and museum studies. With your love of management, you spent 14 years working at the National Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, New York. How did that come to be? Where do you go from Philadelphia record exchange to that?
1: So um, where I went was I ultimately, after the record store and managing, uh, road managing, um, I went back to school and finished my degree in history. And I wanted to do... um, Uh, the history of everyday people. Um, Not so much the great men and great battles, but everyday people. They called it social history. And I I looked into going to a graduate school uh, to get a degree for that because um, it was going to be a a folklore degree where you do exhibits and you make documentary films, you put on Folk Fest and things like that. And I found out about another type of degree where you get a master's in museum studies with an emphasis on all those same things. Mm -hmm. And that's what I did. And then the Baseball Hall of Fame needed somebody that knew how to run the audio equipment and the video equipment. (laughs) And from road managing, I knew how to do that uh, because they had been collecting for 75 years, home movies, radio broadcast tapes, acetates, um, you know, all sorts of recordings. And I got to organize that stuff and catalog it and, and make it all work. And then I got into business development and did fundraising and government affairs and um, worked with all of our hall of fame inductees. It's the greatest fraternity in the world and then was recruited to come out here and, and connect with Rock and Roll.
0: You know, speaking of all the inductees, you as you indicated, you worked with all of them there. Is there any one of them that ever stood out in your mind? I mean, you're, we're talking about baseball, yeah. you know, the greatest sport in the world. Uh, and you were there, Yeah, met with all the inductees. Which one, which one in your mind would have stood out, Greg?
1: You know what? They all stood out to some degree. That's why they were good at what they did, to be honest. They mm-hmm. were all... Um, had a little extra spark, a little extra drive. And I think most of them would have succeeded at anything they did. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I've got great memories of, of Phil Necro and Brooks Robinson and Joe Morgan and Lou Brock. Um, Gaylord Perry is a, a wonderful man and I could go down the list and just keep going, but. And many
0: of the, some of those are Clevelanders, which is really wonderful, isn't it? Oh yeah. You know,
1: <laughs> Bob Feller is, is the greatest and, uh, um, it's just a wonderful group, and it's, it's a pretty elite group. There are fewer Hall of Famers walking the earth than there are
0: astronauts. Yeah. It, it, I, when, I, when I think of, of sitting there or meeting with all of these inductees, it must have been something for you. You're younger than them at this time. Yeah. And for them to tell you great stories, I can't even imagine you sitting with Gaylord Perry and saying, What was it like, Gaylord, to throw a no-hitter? What was that like?
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's very much so. And uh, part of it is you're also working there. So Mm -hmm. you're helping tell their story uh, to the wider public as well, which is really important, and giving them the recognition that they deserve for the accomplishments that they've um, achieved. It's It's a really, again, it's a great group and it's a great sort of fraternity that these um, these great performers are in. And, you know, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is very similar. Yes, uh, it is. The difference is that we're a little newer. They started in 1939. Mm-hmm. Uh, we started in the 80s. and uh, But it is for the best of the best. There are millions and millions of records that have been made, and there's only about 338 inductees in the, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame.
0: And many more who want to be here. <laughs> yes,
1: uh, many more who want to be here and many mm-hmm. more who... F- fans want to have here You bet, and that's the great thing that we care. There's passion. If fans didn't care, that'd be a problem. I'm glad that they do.
0: Okay. So now we shift from baseball to rock and roll, uh, which has an incredible compelling choice for you, but you arrive in this iconic rock and roll capital of the world in Cleveland. You bring your bride with you, Deidre and your two children, where you oversaw development, special events, membership, and government affairs. Then a few years later in 2012, you become president and CEO of the Rock Hall. Did you know that position was forthcoming?
1: Um, didn't know it was forthcoming, but thought it was a possibility. And, um, you know, I'd, I'd been involved in a lot of different areas in the museum world, whether it was curating exhibits, working with collections, um, doing events, uh, fundraising, government affairs work that I had the background to, to lead an organization and insight into areas on how to maximize performance. So mm-hmm. when the time came for them to um, find a successor, there was a national search, and I was pleased th- to be selected and always felt like I was um, the best candidate, whether I was living in the city <laughs> or if it was 3,000 miles away.
0: That's the way I felt about radio. <laughs> okay, of 13,000 DJs in America. Come on, I got to be the one.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, you, you know, and, and you were. <laughs> oh,
0: <laughs> thank you. Talking about a wow moment, you have tethered everyone's appetite for what comes next. Yeah, it was just a few days ago you released designs for a $100 million renovation and expansion to an already internationally known I am pay design. Which would uh, grow the rock and roll's footprint by a third, I guess, right right around 50,000 square feet, right? Mm. Yep. Ahead, Chris, how'd that come to be? Tell me, that decision had to be made somewhere. Yeah. Okay, let's grow this place.
1: Sure. Well, um, you know, this, our building is iconic and amazing. As you said, it was an I.M. pyramid designed mm-hmm. on, the lakes, on the shores of Lake Erie. Um, well, we looked at it about, I don't know, seven, eight years ago, and it was looking a little tired. Um, It was a beautiful modernist building, and we realized that we had to update our exhibits. We had to update the interior spaces, and we're sitting here now. When you look out the window, every flat surface in the museum has giant graphics. Mm -hmm. You see artists expressing joy and playing music. You see bright red colors and bold black colors, which are rock and roll. This used to be stark white inside, so we made those Mm -hmm. emotional changes We added outdoor stages. We added a a robust concert series in the summer, and we shifted our exhibits around. We created an immersive theater. We created a a second floor where we gutted an older Pioneers of Rock exhibit and put in a space for visitors to play instruments and jam with each other. And Mm -hmm. all of these changes were very well received. Uh, Admission almost doubled year over year uh, in time, and Mm -hmm. we just grew. And we realized that we needed to expand the building a bit more. Uh, we need to have space to hold events so that we don't have to close the museum for events. Um, we need some space to bring some of our library and archives functions over here so the public can experience them. And we need classrooms. We host 50,000 school kids a year at the museum, and this building has no classrooms. So the expansion is going to let us do all that, and it's going to give us a little more of a presence on this lakefront and mm-hmm. more opportunity for people to come down and spend the day at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame.
0: And who wouldn't want to do that, right? Okay. <laughs> um, Rock and roll connects us uh, in, in a very big way, and it goes, on, it goes way, way, way beyond the music. It just indicated teaching children about sound and about music. I'll never forget uh, when I first started to come here from time to time. Um, I, I'll, never, I'll never forget seeing that program that you bring children in and you teach them about music yeah. and, how it, and how sound becomes music. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad you saw
1: that, Larry. It's, um, it's called Toddler Rock. Mm-hmm. And it's people think of kids visiting a museum almost like a field trip. Well, these kids come twice a week for thirteen weeks, and they learn rhyming, alliteration, and social skills. The teachers are trained music therapists, and they these kids get tested when they arrive, and thirteen weeks later, they're off the charts. And they do. They learn the alphabet. They learn. Uh, alliteration, they learn social skills. And even more important, these kids come from some real challenged neighborhoods in Cleveland. It's done in partnership with Head Start programs. Mm-hmm. So it's Head Start daycares. When these kids grow up and look at this museum, there's a piece of them in here. It's not just for tourists. There's a point of pride that they studied here and were part of this. And we're just honored about that program. Uh, a couple of years ago, it received a, a, a presidential uh, medal of recognition and uh, we're very proud of it and can't wait to get it going again when we're past COVID.
0: I'll, I'll never forget um, Avery Friedman saying to me one day, Larry, Julian Bond would like to come to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and spend the day. I said, would you take him through there? Which I did. And Julian Bond was teaching at, at new, one of the New York universities music. And we went through, we sat in the theater, and we watched the history of music here. Mm-hmm. Which, if you, haven't, if you haven't done it, folks... Please take some time to do that because you will never ever hear or see anything like it.
1: You you know, it is. It's um, if you think about this art form of rock and roll um, it's been there through times of ups and downs in our country, but it's also there's sound and images that go with it. When you go to an art museum, you can see paintings, you can see drawings, you can see things when you're here to sit in a theater See Prince playing Well My Guitar Gently Weeps with Tom Petty uh, <laughs> on stage in tribute to George Harrison. It's just oh off my. the charts. It gives yeah. you goosebumps.
0: I can't, I can't even imagine. Of all of my days and of introducing from the Rolling Stones uh, to Chuck Berry uh, and Neil Diamond, I never had the opportunity. To meet and introduce the Beatles, which is something I would think someone of my ilk at that point in time would want to do and yeah. never did. Did you meet them?
1: Um, I, when they were here for the induction of Ringo Starr, uh, just a passing hello, because Paul McCartney came in to induct him. He did. And they, uh, yes. they were at Public Auditorium, the same venue they'd played 50 years earlier, <laughs> uh, and they were on the same stage and it was incredible. Uh, just a wonderful, wonderful reunion and powerful for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And frankly, th- that performance is at our website, rockhall.com.
0: Um, I will never forget. It was Friday, September the 1st, over 25 years ago. The sky was a brilliant blue, uh, over 10,000 in attendance. And I can still hear Mayor White's voice saying, We did it. We did it. He did, for three times, we did it. And then he said, But as he stepped up and he said, Baby, you ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> so, um, so with that, Chris, looking into your crystal ball, what do you th- think this place is going to look like in 25 years from now? After all, you'll only be 49.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for that. You know, rock and roll does keep you young. <clears throat> um, I think that what's interesting is when the museum was first conceived, the idea was that it would um, be this treasure for Cleveland, Ohio. And that it would have an economic impact to the region of like $35 million, what they thought. Mm-hmm. Well, the reality is our economic impact is close to $200 million. Mm. And so I think that whatever we're doing now, they're going to be exceeding it in 25 years and growing it. And this place is such an iconic, iconic place. It's on such a firm footing. And really, we worked through with great um, leaders and curators and others through the years. We have this wonderful base to build on for our future um and we're an organization that isn't happy to ki- to coast we're not happy with just maintenance mode we always want to grow and impact more people and be
0: more powerful and that you have done uh yeah, <laughs> yeah it's it's
1: been deliberate you know mm-hmm. um it's easy to keep doing what you're doing it's always hard to do a little more and we have a culture here where uh, our staff is always stretching. They, they love it. We want to reach more people. We want to be more impactful. And we have the, this vision that guides all of our work. And, and the vision is to broaden our reach, so to grow mm-hmm. through meaningful connections with visitors, fans, artists, and each other. And meaningful connections, you know, you know that um, yes. in your career, that's, that's what really is the magic meaningful connections. It really is.
0: Well, you're listening to uh, to part one of uh, Larry Morrow, take two. Uh, As we just mentioned earlier, rock and roll connects all of us in a way that goes beyond the music. It touches our soul and gives us our unique identity. It has been said that rock and roll has no beginning and has no end, for it is the pulse of life. Uh, We're going to be back again next time to talk more on Saturday morning with the president and CEO of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Greg Harris. Larry Morrow's Take Two is on Saturday mornings at 9.30 on 12.20, The Word, and Sunday afternoons at 2 on 14.20, The Answer. We are always looking for new stories that impact our lives in a positive way. If you have someone you would like us to interview, let me know via email at larry at By the way, if you enjoy Larry Morrow Take Two, check out Larry from the Heart, the radio series airing on 12.20, The Word, And 1420, The Answer, 90-second stories packed with smiles, hope, joy, and inspiration. Let me know you're listening, and tell a friend about the new radio program, won't you? And until next time, do all the good you can to everyone you can, every time you can. I'm Larry Morrow, and this is Take Two. Larry Morrow's Take Two is now a podcast series featuring an inspiring library of conversations that Larry had with many broadcast legends from Cleveland and around the world. Subscribe to the podcast and remember to share it with a friend. A new episode releases each week, and it's right here on the Larry from the Heart podcast platform. Thank you for listening.